This is Church of the Resurrection in Wheaton, Illinois. Good morning to you. You can take a seat. My name is Will. I'm the youth pastor and, uh, and college pastor here at Church of the Resurrection. Um, it is good to be with you. Happy Thanksgiving to all of you. Um, one of the great joys of life, isn't this one of the great joys of life? One of the great joys of life is to be able to introduce something you love to someone who's never experienced it. You know, it's just so fun to be able to do that. Like, you haven't heard this band? You need to listen to them right now. I'll play a song, and then I'll make you a playlist. You know, or, or you've never been skiing before? Come skiing. I'll take you skiing. You'll love it. It's incredible. Or you've never had a Chicago-style hot dog? Stop what you're doing. We're driving to Portillo's right now. Right? It's, it's just a great joy to be able to introduce something to somebody. But of course, as, as all of us have learned in the course of doing this, there's a way that you have to introduce things to people so that they actually learn to enjoy them. Like, you, you got to start with the basic stuff, you know, the beginner level stuff. You can't jump right to, like, the next level expert stuff. So if you're going to share your favorite band with somebody, you've got to start with, like, you know, those first five songs that pop up on Spotify. Right? You can't take them to that weird, experimental, obscure album that they did during that like, one weird breakup phase of the lead singer's life. You can't take them there first. You, you might want to get them there eventually, but you can't do it first. You know, if you take someone skiing, you can't take them to the top of the mountain and say, okay, look, this is called a black diamond, okay? And these are called moguls, so I'll see you at the bottom. Right? You, you don't do that. You know, introducing a Chicago-style hot dog to somebody, you know, you just, you got to go slow with it. It's a lot to handle. There's a lot of flavor there. There's a lot of glory, right? They might need to start with ketchup, okay? <laughs> they might have to do that. Okay, well, I, I always chuckle when we get to this, the first Sunday of Advent, because Advent is the beginning of the liturgical year. It's the beginning of the church calendar where we walk with Jesus, you know, through his, his birth, life, death, resurrection, ascension, the life of the church. And so you might think on this first Sunday of the year that we'd start with like some kind of beginner level text or story, scripture, you know, maybe like David and Goliath or like the Sermon on the Mount. But every year we don't start with those things. Every year, we start with the end times. We start with eschatology. We start with, with the hard stuff. I mean, if you wanted to introduce somebody to Christianity, a less effective way of doing that would be talking about the second coming, that Jesus is going to return, right? Like, I wouldn't start there with them. I'd start with something else, but this is where the church starts. And so why is that? Why do we always begin the church year by talking about the end? And there are a few reasons for that. You know, one is it because it reminds us that we are waiting. We are waiting Jesus' return, just like so many were waiting for the coming of the Messiah. And so we join with people that we read about during the season leading up to Christmas. You know, we, we join with, with Elizabeth and Zechariah and Mary and Joseph and, and Simeon and Anna, all of these saints who are waiting for the Messiah, waiting for their redemption. We're joining with them. We're waiting too. We're waiting for our Messiah to return. But a second reason is, is just as important. Why do we begin the year by talking about the end? Because it puts life in perspective. 
You know, thinking about the end puts life into perspective. You know, a few times the psalmist prays, teach me to number my days that I might gain a heart of wisdom. You know, show me the end so that I have perspective on my life here and now. And I think about years ago, one summer during college, I was a, I was a roofer. Okay, and so what you do when you're roofing a house is, you know, you take off all of the shingles, right? You put this felt paper down, and then before you start putting the new shingles on, you, put, you stretch out a chalk line and put these chalk lines all down the roof, one end to the other. Why do you do that? Because with every shingle that you're placing onto the roof, you have the end in mind. You have the goal in mind that at the end, you want these nice, right, straight lines going all the way down. You think about somebody who's had like a a near-death experience, you know, and they'll say to you, look, after that, everything is different. Everything is different now. I'm, I'm processing my habits. I'm processing the, the time that I spend with my family. I'm, I'm talking about the, I'm processing the, you know, the things that were important to me. Everything is now put into perspective because I've, I've come close to the end. I have it in mind. And so that's why we read this text at the beginning of the year. What are we doing? Why are we even gathered here this morning? Why are we going to gather throughout this year? Because we are a people who are waiting waiting for our redemption, waiting for our king to return. And so the posture that that the Lord is inviting us into, the perspective that the Lord is inviting us into through these words in Luke chapter 21 is this, that, that he wants our lives to be characterized by hope and prayer. Hope and prayer in the midst of a scary world. Hope and prayer in the midst of a scary world where many of us would rather just be numb to all of it. He's calling us to alertness, to hope, prayer, confident expectation of his return. So let's look at this passage. I invite you to open up to Luke chapter 21. We're going to be walking through this text. There's Bibles in your seats if, if you'd like to follow along. And, and maybe first, just some background. Because, you know, you read this, like, sun, moon, and stars, like, people fainting with fear at what is coming on the world. I mean, this, this can sound really overwhelming. And so let's put this in the context of, of what's happening here. So this, Jesus is saying this in the last week of his life, right? The last week of his life before the crucifixion. And he's in the temple, and it's a conversation that begins earlier in Luke uh, 21, in verse 5. So they're talking in the temple there, and, and some of his followers, they're looking up at this magnificent building and just remarking on its, on its beauty. And it's true that, that the temple was, I mean, one of kind of the wonders of the ancient world is this massive, massive structure, and it was plated with gold, right? Plated with gold. And, and this, you know, historian Josephus said that, like, when you'd see the sun shining on that, it would look like there's a sun in the midst of the city. You know, it was just so bright, this building was shining. So they're looking up at this, they're remarking on it, you know, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings. And Jesus says this in verse 6, As for these things that you see, the days will come when there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Right? So this is... This is a really big deal. This isn't just an impressive building. 
But this is the center of God's activity in the world. This, I mean, the, the destruction of the temple, this has happened once before. It's unfathomable that it would happen again. And it's, it's not just this you know, prediction about a cataclysmic event, but it's a message of judgment for the people of God. What have we done? What are we doing that, that this temple would be destroyed? And of course, Jesus' larger point is that a new temple has come that he, in himself, he embodies the presence of God amidst the people. Look to him. No longer look to this building, but look to him. This is his message. And and so naturally, they say, well, when? When are these things going to take place? And then to summarize, you know, these next couple paragraphs here, Jesus basically says, you know, there there are like three stages to this. So first, there's going to be a time of persecution where his followers are going to be persecuted. They're going to be imprisoned. They're going to suffer. They're going to be brought before kings and governors. They're not going to know what to say. But Jesus, through the Spirit, is going to give them words to speak in those moments. So he says, first, that's going to happen. And those are exactly the kind of things that we read about in the book of Acts, in the very earliest days of the church. And he says, after that, Jerusalem is going to be surrounded by armies, and you're going to see the temple destroyed, and it is going to be a sorrowful day. And sure enough, that happened in 70 AD, you know, just a few decades after Jesus' resurrection. And then he comes to, to our passage here, verse 25. And there will be signs in sun, moon, and stars... And on earth, distress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea in the waves. This is this third event. People fainting with fear and foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of the heavens will be shaken. It's like, what is Jesus talking about there? Is, is he saying that we should be like looking for these signs, that all of us should start paying a lot more attention to, to astronomy and to meteorology, and that we should be you know, looking for eclipses and comets and, and all these things? And then, and then how would we know if it's just like kind of a regular old like sign in the, in the stars, you know, like an eclipse or something like that, or like, you know, like a really big deal eclipse, and this is the end of the world? I mean, what are we supposed to do with these words? Well, Jesus is not telling us to do that. Right? It's not specific enough for that. And even this sense of like fear and foreboding in the world, I mean, this is, this is just what we live with every day, this, this sense of fear. So what is Jesus saying? Well, if you read him in the context of the Old Testament prophets, then you realize that what he's talking about is the day when God shows up. He's talking about the day when God shows up. He's talking about the day of the Lord. And he's describing that in terms of sun, moon, and stars, just like the prophets Isaiah and Ezekiel and Joel described the same day. I mean, you can look at, you know, Joel chapter 2. And I will show wonders in the heavens and on the earth, blood and fire and columns of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Before what? Before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. It's this, it's this prophetic expectation that the day is going to come where God is going to say, enough is enough. Evil, injustice, wickedness, oppression of the poor, oppression of my people, these will not have the last word anymore. But God is going to intervene in human history and put a stop to all of that. 
And what will we see on that day? Jesus says in verse 27, And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. The second coming, and again, Jesus is using Old Testament prophetic language to describe this. You know, so this is a reference to Daniel chapter 7, where Daniel, this, this prophet, living in exile, right? Not living in his homeland. Daniel himself waiting for the Lord to intervene, to come, has this vision where he sees one like the Son of Man approaching the Ancient of, of Days, approaching God the Father. And this one like a Son of Man is crowned with glory and honor and power and dominion. He's given authority over the nations. He's set as king over the whole universe. Jesus is saying, on that day, on the day of the Lord, what are you going to see? You're going to see me. And what for Daniel was this private vision, just for him, recorded in Scripture, it's going to be a public vision. All of us seeing our rightful king, enthroned truly and forever. That is our reason for hope. The second coming is a reason for hope. But I understand it. If hearing these words, you don't feel hope. I mean, maybe, maybe this picture just fills you with, with dread or anxiety or worry. You know, what will that day be like? And, and it's perfectly understandable, but notice, notice this counterintuitive response that Jesus calls his followers to or, or expects of them. Or indeed, we'll see in them. He says, verse 28, Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads, because your redemption is drawing near. The posture that Jesus invites us into in thinking about the day of the Lord, the second coming, is one of hope and confident expectation. You have nothing to worry about. You who are in Christ have nothing to worry about. Your redemption is drawing near. You know, think about that word, redemption. You know, it's this biblical word that's used you know, throughout the scriptures. And the key kind of image that captures redemption is the exodus, when God freed his people from slavery, when he brought them out of slavery and into the promised land. Your redemption is near. So you think about those things that you feel enslaved to. You think about, you know, slavery to, to sin, especially, you know, these signature sins, these sins that you just find you go back, you go back to again and again in your life, and you just have a sense of, God, would you just free me from doing this? I've done it again. Would you set me free? Jesus is saying, your redemption is near. Of course, you are freed from slavery to sin even now in this life through the power of the Holy Spirit. But on that day, on the day of the Lord, you will never battle again. You will never fall into slavery again. You will be set free once and for all. So you think about, you know, your own, your own tendency to anger, to lashing out, maybe especially in just in a busy holiday season like this. Oh, the irony that you find yourself so angry during this beautiful season. You'll be set free from that. 
You think about, you know, your tendency towards pride that sneaks in there and pollutes even, even the good works that you do. You'll be set free from pride. You'll be able to love freely and truly. You think about envy, right? This thing that motivates you to just scroll and scroll and scroll, always wishing you had someone else's life, something else that they have that you don't. You'll be set free from envy. You'll be set free from self-loathing. Your redemption is near. Look forward to that day. Be confident, be hopeful, be expectant. It's a gift. And there's more here. It's not just a personal redemption, but it's a corporate redemption of the whole universe being redeemed. You look at verse 29. Jesus explains this with a parable. He says, he's talking about springtime. He says, look at the fig tree, you know, which is the first tree, you know, in that part of the world that that comes into leaf. Look at the fig tree. Look at all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves and you know that summer is already here or near. You know, we experienced that in Chicagoland, right? You look up these trees, you see those like neon green leaves forming and it's like, hallelujah, hallelujah, summer is coming. And then, of course, it snows again, and, and some of those, you know, little buds die. Um, but, but most of them survive, and summer really is coming. That's what Jesus is talking about the, here, this springtime. And so he says, so also, when you see these things taking place, and he's talking about persecution. He's talking about the suffering of the church. He says, when you see that happening, those awful things that fill you with fear you know that the kingdom of God is near. You know that the king is coming to make this world right. And so in this parable, he's saying, you know, don't, he's saying, don't be swallowed up in fear. Don't be constantly looking backward, you know, towards days that were brighter and better than this one, but look forward. The kingdom of God is near. It feels counterintuitive. I mean, many of us, many of us look forward and, and we think, how is the church going to survive? How's the next generation going to survive? And of course, you know, there, there are parts of this world where, where people we know, friends of ours, ministry partners of ours, you know, face threats to their lives for their faith. Right? You know, friends in Kenya or Nigeria or, or throughout the Middle East. What's the good news for them? What's the hope for them? It's the same as what it is for us personally. It's that God is going to show up. God is going to show up on the day of the Lord. Jesus promises it. He says in verse 33, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. It's his utter confidence. This is the word of the Lord. God will show up. He will deal with evil and injustice and oppression once and for all. And so you look at at people who have truly suffered. How are they able to, to continue working for justice? Not out of this anxiety like it's up to them, but out of a peace right? How are they able to do that? It's because of their confidence that the Lord is king and that he will do what he has promised to do for us. He will set his kingdom in the right places and in the right ways. 
You know, how, how do people who have suffered have the capacity to forgive, to release someone from the wrongs that they've done? It's through this hope in the second coming that God will judge. They can release that responsibility. They don't have to carry that anymore. God will judge. I can trust him with that. The kingdom of God is near. The second coming is a reason for hope. But of course, that's easier said than done. Because when you live in a scary world with many reasons for fear and anxiety, and hope is difficult, so how do we become a people who are hopeful? And the answer that Jesus provides is this, is that it's through prayer. We become people of hope through prayer. Look at verse 34. Jesus warns, after saying all these things, he warns his listeners. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life, and that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. What's he describing here? I think a word for what Jesus is describing here is numbness. Numbness, because all these words being weighed down and, and, and shrinking into dissipation, all of these have the sense of being hung over, of no longer being alert, of just kind of walking through this life, sleepwalking through this life. And all of us, especially, you know, in, in, in this part of the world, we know this well, that when life is scary and when it's difficult, it is easy to shrink into numbness, to shrink into comforts and pleasures that just help us not think about the scary stuff that's out there. And what Jesus is saying is that that is actually a spiritually dangerous place to be, that numbness is something for us to be concerned about, that we would not fall into that. When you think about yourself, when life is difficult, when someone you depend on really disappoints you, says a hurtful word to you, when work is, is dissatisfying and frustrating, when you feel unseen, when you feel neglected, what do you do with those feelings? If you're like me, often you might just check out. You might just check out, try to become numb, try to not think about them. You might sleep a lot more. You might eat a lot more, especially, you know, your comfort foods. Right? You, might, you might find yourself binge-watching television. You might find yourself scrolling, 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 going to the same websites in order. You know, this, this, this pattern of just trying to numb out, to check out, to escape, to get to the end of the day when you can go to sleep. You know, this is a, this is a temptation for all of us to check out. And Jesus is saying it's spiritually dangerous. Because you do that, you lose sight, you lose perspective of the story that you're in that we are called to hope, we are given the gift of hope and expectation, that our redemption is near, that the kingdom of God is near, that the Lord himself is with us and carrying us through to that day. Verse 36, Jesus says, stay awake at all times, how? Praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. How do we stay awake? Through prayer. Through prayer, that's 
how we stay awake. And notice what he says, to stand before the Son of Man. You know, so often in the scriptures it says, who can stand? Who can stand before the Lord? And Jesus is saying, you will be able to stand. You who know that you are standing not in your own righteousness, but in Christ's righteousness. You will be able to stand. And you will stand because you're not afraid of judgment on that day, but you are ready to receive your vindication that everything you've suffered in this life, it wasn't for nothing. It wasn't for nothing that you set your hopes on what's eternal instead of what's merely temporary. None of that will be wasted. You will be vindicated on that day. You will stand before the judge, and all of that hope that looked foolish will be revealed as wisdom. He says, that's what you have to look forward to. How do we get to that day? Through prayer. How do we stay awake? Through prayer. And so as we think about this this Advent season, what is the Lord inviting us into? I mean, for many of us, it's one of the busiest times of the year. I mean, maybe your calendar, your schedule is already filled up with all kinds of of parties and activities and and end-of-the-year projects and whatever. All the more reason to pray. All the more reason to pray, lest your heart become weighed down with the cares and the concerns of this life. All the more reason to pray. And so how can you do that? How in this Advent season can you re-engage your prayer life? And this is one of the gifts of the church calendar, right? That there's always new seasons that are beginning. And the best time to start a habit or to pick up an old habit is at the beginning of something. So this Advent, this first Sunday in Advent, I encourage you to think on this. How would you like to re-engage your life of prayer? And you're already off to a great start. You know, Hebrews 10 says, do not give up meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encourage one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. That this, what we're doing right here, this gathered worship, Together, This is one of the ways we stay awake. It's one of the ways that that we remain people of hope who are confidently waiting for the Lord's return. You think about your personal prayer life. And I'm just a big fan of low expectations. Okay? Big fan of low expectations in this regard. So if you have not had a habit of prayer recently, I would encourage you this. Ten minutes a day. Can you set your iPhone or timer, your, your you know, smartphone, your Android timer? Can you set a timer for 10 minutes, turn off all notifications, and just say, whatever happens here, this is prayer. I'm going to try to listen to the Lord's voice just 10 minutes a day. Even in a busy season, you probably have 10 minutes just to slow down and remember the story that you're in. Get perspective on what you're waiting for. You know, if you have a family, if you have children in your house, you might consider some kind of Advent routine of of coming together to read Scripture in the evenings or, or, you know, a couple evenings a week, something like that. And maybe for you as a parent, as you're hearing that, you're just filled with trepidation. You're like, my kids are not going to go for that. And I just want to say, as a parent, that I am right there with you, right? I have a hard enough time getting my kids to sit down for like five minutes of dinner 
the idea of getting them to sit down and do something spiritual is incredibly daunting. Okay, I get that. But, but here's what I want to encourage you parents with. That what happens during that time, your kids will probably never remember. Unless it's like really comedic, like unless the Advent wreath, you know, catches on fire. They will probably remember that the rest of their lives. But other than that, what happens during that time, they'll probably never remember, but they'll remember this, that you took the time to pray, that you took the time to gather your family, that that was important to you. And the more that you are able to genuinely engage in that worship yourself, the more that your kids will receive that. And so let that be an encouragement to you. It doesn't have to go splendidly. It matters that you try. It matters that you gather your family for those moments. If you don't have kids in your home, if you're, if you're married, if you have roommate, roommates, you, know, might, you might think about what you can do to make your space more suitable for prayer. You might consider you know, turning off your subscriptions, you know, your Netflix subscription this month. You might consider one night a week where you, you turn off Wi-Fi, you put your phone away, to just see what comes up in you, right, when you don't have the same familiar comforts to go back to. And that, even just doing that once a week, that would be a great Advent rhythm to become a person of hope and prayer. During Advent, Jesus calls us into these things. He calls us into hope, into prayer, calls us to have perspective on our lives. And the end, the joyful end that is coming, that in the midst of a scary world where we are tempted to simply check out, become numb, that we are able to have hope in a gracious redeemer, a deliverer. We are able to have hope in a righteous and mighty king who can set the world to rights, make it what it should always have been. We have hope in a merciful judge hope that we will be able to stand before him and receive the vindication that we long for. Jesus calls to you during Advent, stay awake. Abide with me through this long night. I will return. Your redemption is drawing near. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Thanks for listening. Our vision at Church of the Resurrection is to equip everyone for transformation. As part of that vision, we love to share dynamic teaching, original music, and stories of transformation. For more of what you heard today, check out the rest of our podcast. To learn more about our ministry, visit churchres.org.